This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we focus on passages and destinations. And in other episodes, we talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we try to get them to be a guest on the show. But before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners are supporting the podcast using Patreon. If you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. And Bela, it is much appreciated. We appreciate our listeners and people who are supporting us and a big thanks. But let's move on to today's topic. And this is the second part. We started in episode 88 and now we're finishing up in episode 89. Correct, Bela? That's right. So this is about Simon and Sawyer sailing across the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. Uh, back in episode 84 and 85, we interviewed them and they talked about their preparations for sailing across the Atlantic. And then in episode uh, 88 was sort of their first leg. We sort of broke. It was a long conversation. So we broke it into two and 88 episode 88. We talked about certain things like seasickness, some equipment failures, uh, making water, et cetera. And in this episode, uh, we're going to talk to them about some of the other things they encountered along the trip. Yeah, Bela, this is so cool. Um, I'm excited to hear the second part of the conversation. Now, again, for new or irregular listeners, we would recommend before you listen to this episode, start with 84 and 85 about the planning and then listen to 88 for part one of this conversation and then this one. So if you jump right into this one, mm, you might be a little bit lost. So 84, 85 then 88, and then come back to this one. And I think you'll be, uh, it'll be very valuable to do that. So um, let's get right to the second part of the conversation with Simon and Sawyer, uh, direct from the Azor Islands. So let me ask you this, was was there a a piece of equipment that you, you really thought was gonna be super important? Like we gotta have this, we gotta spend the money on this, and you didn't even take it out of the box? <laughs> I mean, other than other than the life raft, right? I'm not, oh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, like something that you said. You know, we just really wasted our money on this. It turns out you don't. We don't need this at all. Was there anything like that? 
I mean, no, the only things were in that safety vein, which we're very happy we didn't use, right? So yeah. we have a, a really big uh, sea anchor. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of money on, and we got all the right rigging for it. That stayed, luckily, underneath the, the V-Birth. <laughs> Uh, we have a really fancy, nice drogue, and that didn't get, didn't come out. And we have an emergency rudder, and that didn't come out. So in yeah. those those types of things, yeah. yeah, we spent a lot of money on that. But it, you know, we might need it in the future. And right, we definitely, right, right. We're happy, yeah, yeah. definitely happy we we had it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say I would, like hazarded a couple other things. So you know, we had a a Solent stay installed. Oh, that's so a good point. An inner Solent stay, and then and then a working jib, and in uh, a storm jib. In a storm jib, yeah, and we. Didn't have to use those. We, we used the Solon, uh, the, the working jib on one day um, for a little bit. And it's nice. It's a good sale. But we just it didn't come up. You know, that the role of Perlo Genoa is easier. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we also have our SSB system. That's been around for a while. Um, you know, I mean, you know, that, you know, the radio is like 900 bucks. The antenna system was a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we didn't really use it. But it works. Right. I mean, we sent you an email with the SSB. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good backup. It's fully independent. Yeah, we, the, we listened uh, to uh, we listened to some of the the nets one night. Yeah, you know, it was just kind of interesting. But you know, I think all these things were um, they have a use, and it's reassuring that we have them. Yeah. But we definitely all in that same vein. We definitely could have made the crossing without them. You yeah. Know? Luckily, right? Yeah, we didn't. True. We didn't need the SSB. We didn't need the working jib. We didn't need the storm jib, etc. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad we had all that stuff. So yeah. yeah. So, so were, were there any things like, well, I, I plan to read five books on this passage because yes. I know, you know, yes. and, it, and you saw none of so them. I, or... I bought I bought four, one thousand page each books before I left, thinking, you know, this is a time in my life where I can actually be born in peace, right? And and I tried reading one once. I read about half a page and I almost lost my lunch and I put it back. So. No, I didn't. I think so. One thing was right. Yeah, I didn't really read, even though you're sitting in the boat for 24 hours. Like, what are you doing? No, yeah. I couldn't read. And then we had all this very extravagant food planning. We talked a little bit about yes. last time, and we did make some meals. Um, my wife was always texting us, being like, "Oh, what's for dinner tonight?" You know, we right, were kind right. of start saying like, "Yeah, like powdered tomato soup and crackers." <laughs> so, yeah, we, um, you know, we had all the food, and it was nice we had it, but we didn't. Uh, spend as much time making, you know, gourmet food as we, as we thought we would. Yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, that was it. I think, um, so we, I don't know if I mentioned last time, we, we actually had all of our standing rigging replaced before we left. Yeah. Uh, it looked, it was, ours looked in really good condition, but it was one of those things that, you know, you don't really know and, and probably a good insurance policy to get, get that replaced. Uh, and I was very happy we did just because when it was really blowing and the boat's creaking and healed over, um, you know, I really wasn't worried about that. And I, I think that if we had not changed that rigging, that would have added another, you know, s- significant amount of anxiety, right? Like, what's going to snap? We've actually right. seen two boats come in here in Hortus since I've been here with uh, stays that have snapped. Yeah. And they had to, like, limp their way in. Um, yeah. I know those are the ones that made it. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't heard from the others. Yeah. 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 So uh, since we're talking about hardware, uh, what other what other things uh, sort of broke, right? Because you're on this trip, that is as as you know, that's probably five or six years of sailing spread in compacted into 17 days. So no, absolutely. Um, well, so the first thing that that I think was pretty new to us as you know coastal sailors originally 
is anything that can chafe will chafe mm. and it'll chafe straight through. I think as, as you know, coastal sailors, we get kind of used to being sloppy because you're only sailing for a few hours during the day and then the next day it's a different setup. So things actually don't really like cause a problem. Um, but we had several lines just chafe straight through. Um, like we had, a uh, well, we lost our topping lift twice. <laughs> uh, but the second time it was because the, the line for the topping lifts, you know, which is a, like a nylon line, uh, was wrapped kind of the wrong way around one of our reefing lines. And it wasn't under a whole lot of tension, right? When we were sailing, the main is acting as the topping lift. So the topping lift yes, just right. around, and, uh, you know, we were, we were reefed a, a decent amount, but we didn't think it was gonna matter. But just having the two ropes on each other like this wore straight through the topping lift in, in like three days, right? And that's not something that you're used to having. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So, so did, does does that mean somebody went up the mast out out in the, out in the seas? A little bit. Uh, well, I lost uh, you there. So the last thing I heard was uh, two ropes wore right through, and the topping lift wore right through. Yeah, yeah. So the topping it was just two ropes touching each other, right? And in, in like three days, the topping lift wore straight through. Where, you know, we look up, we're like, where'd the topping lift go? And it's, it's flailing around. And, the, you know, you know we, we had the main sheet chafe. Um, it didn't chafe all the way through, but we did have to replace it. Um, and that was because it was hitting just like a little corner on our boom break. You know, we've had that set up for three years now. Yeah. And it has never been an issue, right? Because, you know, how, how often are we really standing with the main? But um you know when you have the main up for five days it, it doesn't take much so yeah. all those little things yeah and it's not just the amount of time it's, you know it's 400, 400 some hours across right but it's uh everything was under a lot of load for that time i mean basically under full load 20 25 knots the entire time and the sea state you know it's 8 10 12 foot waves so there's a lot of motion yeah and it's constantly 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 moving i don't know probably a million times right that thing went like right. this sure and, uh, so yeah, that was that's true. That was that was a little bit unexpected for us. And also, um, I remember we went out on deck one day, and just to, to kind of check one of the lines, and we noticed that a D shackle, like the little, what do you call it? That's right, a D shackle. Yeah. yeah, but the little yeah. bolt that goes through the shackle yeah. Yeah. was like almost about to come out, like one thread away, because we hadn't tied it off with some wire. So we're like, oh, we should do that. So we started checking all the D shackles, and they were all like that. Right? <laughs> Anything that we had not tied was about to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so that, you know, I, I think it extends to, you know, one of our larger mechanical issues for the whole trip was our, our vang. Um, we had, our vang just kept breaking, yeah. our hard vang. And, um, you know, for, for various different reasons. Um, but ultimately, it can, it can be traced back to, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a great installation, at, you know, relative to the amount of load that it has. Um, but the other thing, too, is, you know, when we're standing in light wind, it's, it's really rolly. But, but the main isn't under a whole lot of pressure. Oftentimes we're sailing downwind. Um, and so the, as the boat rolls, the main is going back and forth and back and forth. And, and it puts a 
an incredible amount of load on the on the boom and as it you know hits the main sheet or yeah. the other way when it hits boom brake which we have cranked on as the jive preventer um it puts a ton of load on the vane and um and yeah so like you know the first time we had a, a the, the bolt is oh, like a yeah, like yeah. a gooseneck bolt for the hard vane that connects it to the boom that came, came off and we landed on the deck then the second time we had the d shackle come off and send the vane released and then we had the the metal plates that secure the the vane to the boom those pulled off then we re-riveted them then they pulled off again then you know it was kind of stormy so we couldn't go back out there so then those metal plates wore a hole in the mass and wore a hole in the mass boot and we got water coming it was, it was a you know we, we we sailed the last like week of the trip with no vane right we, yeah oh the boot was nice actually and so i said <laughs> pitch for a boom break uh you know stops it's a jive preventer it allows you to jive without bringing the main in you can actually adjust the tension but it did actually serve basically as a backup thing for us you know, yeah yeah, but, you're not going to get a good sail shape, but it, it stopped the boom from flailing all over the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, sure. And we got here, and we and we have this gorgeous piece of art, new boom, uh, new vang bracket, a guy fabbed here on on the island. And instead of having uh, eight rivets in the front, this new bracket goes all the way around the mast, and it's got 16 rivets going through the side. And it's probably, you know, if we watch up on the rocks, the last thing that will be <laughs> connected will be this. this yeah. yeah. So when when you lost your topping lift, did somebody have to go up the mast out there? So in that case, the topping lift uh, got tangled around one of the shrouds. We were able to get it untangled <laughs> from the deck. I did have to climb up the mast uh, twice. Really, only one time was really necessary. The second time, I, I wanted to try and get our flags set up, our spreader flags. Now, the first time that was important was the... Uh, like the the halyard mm. for our solent yeah, for our up. working jib that got all tangled up in what did it get tangled up in it got tangled in something else yeah i think in the topping lift the topping lift for, for our whisker pole, whisker pole yeah. yeah so then we couldn't use our whisker pole it was all you know again so many motions right anything that can get tangled is going to get tangled pretty quickly and you're not going to be able to untangle it easily yeah so, so yeah so that was it that was a trip up the mass um so yeah, maybe that's another important takeaway. Like you should be prepared to to go off the mast if you if you haven't done it. Um, there's there's easy ways and hard ways to go off the mast. We were uh, pretty lucky that we have steps built into it. Yeah. So it's really just a matter of climbing up there. Um, if you can get like a real climbing harness, or you know some sort of harness that's designed to allow for full movement. Um, so like in our case, we we just use the harness that's built into our life jacket. Um, then that's definitely the way to go. They, they sell these bosun chairs as well. Yeah. Quite frankly, I think the only folks who have used a bosun chair are the folks who have never climbed a mast because you can't you can't move when you're in it. it the, you can you just have to sit there and, and get winched all the way up, but you can't use your legs, right? Yeah. And so um, something like a like a climbing harness you can buy at like an outdoor store, or an REI or whatever, yeah. Ella Bean, right? That, I would recommend that for anybody. I think that, that the harness in the place best work pretty well. Yeah. And we're wearing it anyway, so it wasn't yeah. too complicated. Yeah, I have a I have a bosun's chair that I would describe as a climbing a regular mountain climbing harness with a seat mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. And some pockets. You know, mm -hmm. so so you feel like you're you can you can climb just like you would on a climbing harness. Uh, but it but you can also sit in it and it's pretty comfortable. It's not like sitting in a regular 
you know, climbing harness, and it's got some nice big pockets on it. I don't know who makes yeah. it, but it's it's cool. sort of combination of those things, as opposed to just a piece of wood <laughs> that <laughs> that you're sort of sitting on. Yeah, yeah. So you ha you have you have stairs on the mast then, or steps. So you went up that. Oh uh, yeah, we have these like these like fold fold out fold out. Uh, yeah, full out step. Yeah, and they uh, it's great. Uh, we you know, look around here on on the dock. Actually, very few boats have them. Mm -hmm. I'd say yeah. we've only seen one or two others that have it. It's really nice to have. But even yeah. so, I'll say that we've seen a lot of folks go up the mast yeah. in Horto, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, almost everybody. Almost that, like, like you, you come down on the dock and at least somebody's up there doing something, right? It's a very so yeah. Here's a difference, Vale. It's kind of <laughs> I mean maybe it's obvious, but it's kind of cool when you come to the dock here, right? Just like in when we left Newport, everyone's out on their boat. In Newport, everyone's out waxing their boat, buffing their boat. Yes. And here are taking apart their roller furler they're up the mast trying to like change the block i mean you're busy you got to stay busy but it's different kind of busy yeah so. <laughs> yeah there aren't any yeah. shiny boats here i'll tell you that yeah yeah you're fix you're fixing stuff mm -hmm. so what other what other things uh were sort of uh oh i didn't expect that to break yeah for sure well you got a good story for you go for it uh, okay, yeah, so the, I'd say the, the biggest uh, equipment failure drama we had was related to our uh, furling jib. Uh, so, um, yeah, we were mostly sailing, you know, with our main up and our, our jib out, and then often the jib was out on a, on a whisker pole. Mm -hmm. And so one day, uh, you know, we have a forecast, and the forecast was calling for, like, 20 knots behind us. Mm-hmm. And so we're watching it, and it's you know it's getting to like 20. We had a full main and a full Genoa out, which we could handle pretty well. And uh, you know then 20 becomes 22, becomes 25, becomes 28. And of course you sh you know you should have brought the sa the sails down a little bit, but you're kind of hoping that <laughs> you know it just goes back down, and of course it doesn't. So then it's 30, it's 32, and that's yeah. when sorry I mentioned like you but you kind of know when the boat's not happy. I think the boat kind of did a surf down a wave at like nine knots or ten knots we both looked at each other like, like yeah it's time to uh, we gotta we gotta change something here so um we had gotten used to uh actually uh furling in the jib with the whisker pole to reduce that sail um even under load we can i mean we can take some of the load off it yeah and then working together uh we can kind of bring it in a little bit so yeah and i'll, I'll just like explain this this scenario a little bit in more detail here so you know, we got the, the main out on the port side and we got the Genoa um, pulled out on the starboard side with the whisker pole and the wind is coming off of our starboard quarter, right? So we have the whisker pole and the Genoa into the wind. And so, you know, normally what would be the, the prudent thing to do and what, you know, the whisker pole manufacturers will tell you to do is you should jibe the main over. So then the, the Genoa is in the lee of the main and then you can furl it in without really any tension without too much pressure and then you drive back but the problem is you know we're sailing downwind in like 15 foot seas and 30 knot like almost scale force winds and we don't feel like driving the main <laughs> we just didn't didn't want to do it so we had kind of with the two of us we over time figured out how we can kind of cheat the system and it is possible uh to furl in the genoa under that load um but it requires a lot of coordination yeah um, and it does put a lot of strain on the furler, as, yeah. we, as we found out. Yeah. So anyway, so Sawyer, you know, releases the, the sheet a little bit. That's the way we do it. And then, you know, gives me a little bit to, to pull in. So I go to pull in and it's kind of stiff. 
So I really pull in, and then all the line comes. <laughs> I was like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like, well, I have all this line in my lap, and the sail's still out. You know, and of course you're, I don't know, you're exhausted, and you're, yeah. so I'm like, wow, what's going on here? So I pull some more, but it's still not getting any better, right? So we come to realize, of course, that, yeah, so we've, we've pulled the line in because the drum is turning, but the drum is no longer connected to mm. the furler. So mm. something's broken there. And now our, our Jenna was out with the whisker pole and our main's up and it's 30, 32 knots and 12 foot seas. And building. And building. And okay, we know how to get the main down, right? Uh, but how do we get this giant <laughs> Genoa in <laughs> when the only way to get it in really is this drum that's no longer working, right? So, yeah. uh, so Sawyer's like, all right, we need to get a diagram. Like, go downstairs, see if you can find, like, the manual. Maybe there's, it'll, it'll be obvious, like, what broke, right? Mm -hmm. we, we didn't want to go up on deck right away. We didn't have to. So I go down. I'm, like, ripping through the manual. <laughs> like, ah, I can't find it. Yeah. So we go back up. It's like, okay. We got to go out and just do, like, a little scouting mission, right? See what's, what's going on. So I get all <clears throat> tethered up and, you know, crawl out there. And when I got to the, uh, the furler, yeah, I could see that they were disconnected. So that wasn't, I thought maybe a weld broke or something. I didn't know how they got together. And I looked down and right on the roller for the anchor, maybe an inch from going to the water, was this little screw, <laughs> a little set screw. So I'm like, huh, that's interesting. What was more interesting is I had seen that same set screw the day before somewhere else <laughs> on the deck. It's like sitting in our, in our deck drain, yeah, yeah. caught in the filter. Yeah. So important lesson is if you find a screw on your boat, don't just say, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you have to hunt down where that screw came from. So yeah. you know, we did spend like an hour yeah, trying to find where that screw came from. And we looked everywhere. And I think it, maybe that was one time we went to Mass. We we're trying to see maybe some block or something. We couldn't find it. So we had convinced ourselves, oh, it must have been a screw that came off another boat when we were in the yard last winter. It's probably nothing. Well, that other screw was also from the, the roller furler. And then the third one was gone. So those three set screws had come on, you know, vibrated out over the course of a week. And now, you know, they, they weren't connected anymore. Um, but the good news was we knew what the problem was. So I had one set screw. I had the one from before in the drawer. And then we dug through our hardware store and got a third one that was close enough. Got back up there, put them back in, taped all around it so they wouldn't come back out. And, uh, and we were back in business. But um, I mean, certainly kind of, you know, anxiety producing. And I think, you know, real lesson that you can't assume that what is going to work is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So our, our really only out in that condition was to roll in the jib. But if that right. doesn't work, I mean, I guess, yeah, we could have tried to take down the jib. Right. But that's that would have been really not fun. And we could have tried to turn into the wind, but that's yeah. also not fun. So uh, we kind of. Yeah, we lucked out. I think I, th I think that was like the, the most important lesson of all was, yeah, we hadn't given ourselves a great plan B, right? We had we had waited until the, the winds had, had built up up pretty far, and then we we went out on deck, prepared to furl in the Genoa and not really prepared to do anything else. Anything else, yeah. Right, and so then when when that failed, and now it's like we 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 hadn't even thought of what the plan B would be, right? And then quite frankly, in hindsight, I think you know we might have done things a little differently. Yeah. Um, but. So, now you know, in, 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 in that whole process, we ended up bending a stanchion. We got the lines all tangled up. You know, we got it in. Yeah. We yeah. had to wrestle the main. We like, got literally like 
like <laughs> up the mast, breath on the main. We got it done. We had we had, one of our jib sheets came out, and we were towing that behind the boat for about two days. Uh, was that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not good. I will say though, and this is good, and Sawyer gets credit for it. So when we first couldn't get it in, and we're like, oh my god, Sawyer did say, hey, stop. Let's just let's just sit down here and just let's just talk about this for a minute, because really not, nothing's going to change in a minute, you know. And that's where he came up with the plan of, hey. Before we get on deck, maybe there's a manual, maybe there's a diagram. Let's go find it so we can go out there and be well prepared. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, something like definitely happen. But if you can, uh, you know, it is good to sort of back to our world is first aid, right? You're going to, is the person going to die in five minutes or not die in five right. minutes? And, and right. we were feeling nervous, but a minute wasn't going to change anything. So yeah. just take a deep breath and come up with a plan. And, uh, our plan didn't work, but no, no, but it was, it was, it was good to think. It was I mean, a good exercise. I remember having the, a, the distinct conversation. You know, we're in the cockpit, we're, we're stressed out, we're like, we, we got to fix this. And I remember saying, Well, let's let's just do the risk reward for a second, yeah. right? Yeah. The you know, the risk of not doing anything, like we could just go straight back down downstairs and go to sleep. But the, the risk is that the wind continues to build, and what is inevitable is just going to be harder. Um, you know, but the reward there is that we, we don't have to contend with going out on deck in a gale. Right, because the, the flip side, the, the the reward of going out there is we could fix the solution. We could give us options, so we could can, we could throw the sail, we could drop the main down. Right, that that allows us to go up to, you know, much higher wind speeds. But the risk is that you're up on deck, in a gale and and big big waves, and you get washed overboard. There's that hole, right? And so it was useful just to think it through. Mm -hmm. And we decided in the end, it's worth it to go up there and try and at least diagnose the issue, if not fix it. Yeah. Um, but we yeah. had thought it through right? and just, yeah. just stumble into it. Yeah. And if you I, find a screw in your boat, it didn't come from another boat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fool yourself. That came from your boat. You better figure out where the hole is that I used yeah. to go into. Figure that out. That's good advice. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I, as I, as you're talking about that experience, I'm reflecting back and every time that I have delayed doing something like shortening the sails or putting out my bumpers, my fenders, or whatever it is, right? Getting my dock lines ready. Every time I've delayed, because I was lazy, basically, it's gotten much harder to do subsequently, right? So by delaying it, never makes it easier, <laughs> right? For me, it's always gotten harder. Sure. So I, I always, as soon as I start getting that inkling about reefing my sails, I reef my sails. <laughs> Yeah. So because I know I if I don't, it's going to get harder. Yeah, we may have talked about this in entrepreneurship-related things, but one one kind of expression I have is that it's impossible to pick the perfect time. Right. So you're either going to be too late or too early, mm -hmm. right? It's what it is, and it's it's better to be too early than too late. Right. And that comes to like changing jobs or right. you know, stock market making big higher. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Pulling your money out of the stock market. <laughs> right. I know you're not. You're never going to time it perfectly. So, you know, realize that and just go go early. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's next for you guys? Where to next? Yeah. So, you know, our original plan and our our still our, our primary goal is to get to the, the British Isles. Get to England. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have family there. We're having a bit of a little reunion. Um, but you know, how do we get there? So our original plan was to sail from here up to Ireland and then from Ireland to England and, you know, cruise around the, the British Isles a little bit. But looking at the weather forecast just doesn't look that great for going to Ireland right now. Um, you know, this time of year, you get these, these large low pressure systems 
that stay well north of the Azores, um, but they really nail you if you're, you know, in the vicinity of Ireland. Um, and it's, there's really no easy way to avoid that. Yep. And looking at our forecast for leaving this week, you know, we'd have, you know, two or three days of, you know, pretty calm winds and then two or three days of pretty nice winds. And then by the time we get into the weekend or early next week, you know, we're looking at beating into 25 knots, 30 knots of wind. So um, chatting with some of the other vagabonds on the dock here, uh, we've been convinced to go to Spain. So we're, uh, we're just going to go to that northwest coast of Spain, which is a little oh. bit shorter, a little more east. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, good winds behind us. We can stay out of these lows. And yeah. it's supposed to be beautiful. And then once we get there, it's actually it's only like a 300-mile hop across the Bay of Biscay. You know, it's yeah. an infamous Bay of Biscay for sure, but it's important to remember it's only 300 miles, so it's quite easy to pick a weather window. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then it's like 100 miles to the UK. So, again, you can just wait for a good day and then jump across. So yeah. We'll do that. So is the reason you're going to Spain and the Bay of Biscay is that you didn't did not see enough orcas on your way over? You want to you want to go find some? Everyone's talking about orcas for real. Uh, We've actually heard some like you've heard some firsthand accounts. Yeah. Of orca attacks. Yeah. No, and people here have uh, a new thing here is pingers. They're supposed to scare the orcas away. Uh huh. So I actually I talked to a guy yesterday. I was like, do you have a pinger? He's like, oh, of course. I said, does it work? He goes, ah, it's not quite clear. It, they're, they, they're not sure if it attracts the orcas or it scares them. It does one of the two. <laughs> so, no, um, but it's a real thing. So I guess actually uh, they tend to follow, it seems like, so they follow the tuna. And right now, this time of year, they're, they're down by Gibraltar. Yeah. And then later in the summer, they end up moving north up to northern Spain, usually around September. So uh, we don't think we'll have, have orcas. Uh, Good. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to Very see an orca. It's not... Not biting our rudder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, everyone's, everyone talks about orcas, um, so it's a weird thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so for this leg, so the Azores to Spain, what are you doing differently than you did on Newport to 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 Azores? I think the biggest thing that's different is just um, how we're preparing food-wise. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're stocking up on, you know, soups and you know, miso and dried noodles and stuff. Stuff that's just easy. Like you know, being back in college. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's easy for me. This is, this is my normal <laughs> diet. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, that, I think that's very important. Yeah, we just went shopping and that's, you know, what we loaded up on. Um, we also, you know, we had some great winds coming over. Uh, and every time I looked at our speed, it was like six, seven, yeah. eight knots, yeah. right? Wow. It looked great. That being said, we still only averaged five knots VMG velocity made good because you're never going exactly right. where you want to go so our weather routers had us at 160 miles a day because we should be able to do six and a half knots and that's the math but we never were hitting those targets and actually it was kind of demoralizing because we're, <laughs> we're like oh, we're, 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 behind. we're letting them down <laughs> but so anyway for this trip we've planned 120 miles a day we, you know that's what we can do five five sure. knots and i think um i've heard it from other people before yeah, you should be you should be probably more conservative with your mileage per day than you think you 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 could be in best case scenario. Yeah. Doing much more than five, at least for our kind of a cruising boat, is not realistic. So anyway, that's our plan, and, and that that maybe is is a change from before. Um, yeah. It'll help us with our, our routing. Um, yeah, and I'm you know in my case, uh, I actually I have some medication for the seasickness which I got. Mm -hmm. There's some patches, so I'll yeah. be putting those on in a couple hours. 
um, and I'm going to prehydrate and uh, really, you know, really work on that and, and try to, you know, keep my fundamentals good. Eating, trying to sleep, hydrating. Um, seems, seems super simple, but it's super important. All right. You can use the Baylor method of naps. I, I was thinking about you the whole time and wishing it. <laughs> wish I could just close my eyes and fall asleep. <laughs> no, it's a, but the thing is, you tried. I mean, you made an effort to sleep because you I know did. how important. I, I right? made it an effort. That's right. Yeah, and it is. It's, it's uh, so they, they say in the in women's first responder, right? For a for a patient, you got to keep them fed, hydrated, warm, and rested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it it sounds like it's not rocket science. It kind of isn't. The body will do most of the fixing on its own, but you got to give it those fundamental things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're very right. I used to. Even though I, I knew I probably wouldn't fall asleep, I would go down below and try to fall asleep. Yeah, just yeah. because, you know what, it's, I'm going to feel more rested. Even if I just fall asleep for 10 minutes, it's going to be help. Yeah. It's going to help in that accumulation, right? Because it's one of these, you, you make deposits and you make withdrawals. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, I think that's it. So in, this, in a, long, you know, a long passage, and it's, if you're not used to it, it's, for us it was a little different. We've done two or three day things. You know, you can... You can push you can through. Pa- you can power through two or three you can days. Power yeah. through a couple of days, right? And we've all done it in different ways. And back in college, you did it. And yeah, you you know you can do a night. You can do two nights, but you can't do a week or two weeks. It just start yeah. hearing voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear voices all the time. Uh, so great. Hey, listen. So when you get to Spain, let's touch yep. base again. Uh, let's do yeah. part part two of the. Uh, the journey across the Atlantic. Uh, this was great. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. And uh, it was really great to see you guys again. Thanks for having Absolutely. us. Yeah. Great yeah. About it. Yeah. You betcha. All right. All right. Unbelievable story, Bela. And I mean, I think we're both so glad they made it uh, to the first stop, uh, safe and sound. What struck you as the most interesting elements of part two of this conversation with these two guys? <clears throat> well, you know, the interesting thing was I, I was their ground support for this uh, trip. So every day they would send me a text. Uh, they had satellite communication capability. They'd send me a text that gave me their position, their heading, sort of the winds that they were encountering, uh, their next waypoint, and then a couple of words about sort of the general condition of what was going on. And 17 days is a long time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was on land and I was following them and, and, Man, it's it's a lot different than sort of the two or three day coastal cruises that I do. Uh, so I think that that's just sort of you got to get comfortable with that part of it, man. It's a it's a long time, and and there's no getting off. You, you start, you get on the ride, and and you got to get to the other end. I mean, when you're sailing across the Atlantic, uh, you can stop in Greenland, you can stop in Iceland, and and the Azores. That's about it. And Greenland and Iceland are sort of out of the way, and there's a lot of icebergs and stuff. So they're not great places uh, to, to, to go to from, from, the perspe- from that perspective. So I, I think the other thing that sort of struck me was even with all the preparations they made, I mean, they went over the boat with a fine-tooth comb. You know, they had plans for food and, and uh, you know, the weather routing, which we talked about in, in the previous episode. Uh, stuff still broke. Right. And, and part of this is it's it's five years worth of wear and tear crammed into 17 days. And and I just thought sort of, you know, their, their boom van broke. Uh, it pulled right out of the, the boom van is something that one end of it's attached to the boom. 
which is sort of the bottom part of the mainsail, and the other end is attached to the mast. And it helps to, to manage the angle of the boom, uh, sort of, because it's attached to the mast, and it, it helps manage the angle of the boom, depending upon how the wind is blowing on the sail. And it ripped right out of the bottom of the mast. <laughs> the rivets just ripped right out. And that's been on, I mean, their boat's like 40 years old. <laughs> that's been on the boat for 40 years. Uh, you know, and then they tried to figure out how to jerry-rig that all together. Uh, I and there was the other... no way, Bela, there was no way they would have known that, right? I mean, right. by visually looking at it. I had to look this up, honestly. I didn't know what a boom fan <clears throat> but I did look it up. Um, yeah. But yeah, it seems like it just it just failed, right? I, internally and externally, it looks fine. Yeah. Now, uh, interestingly enough, the boom vang comes is used the most and has the most load on it when you're sailing, typically when you're sailing downwind. Okay. And when you're when I'm bopping around, you know, uh, on coastal cruising, if I'm lucky, a third of the time I'm sailing downwind. When you sail across an ocean, you're hoping that a hundred percent of the time you can be mm -hmm. sailing downwind. So if you think about the duty cycle of it, <laughs> right, it's totally different. Yeah. Uh, and and that's true for for every a lot of things on the boat. A lot of the lines are now positioned differently than they are. You know, on a three-day cruise around the coast, I might sail downwind for half a day, maybe six, maybe 10 hours. Here, they're they're doing it 24 hours a day. Right, so for 10 straight that play, days that, and then it fails. Yeah. Right. That plays a that plays a role in it. And that plays a role in what what fails because you're stressing things differently than you typically do uh, when you're sort of doing your two or three day cruises. Uh, I, I thought the I thought the 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 story with the set screw <laughs> was sort of amazing. Yeah, <laughs> didn't that didn't that strike you as? Hmm. I I, I found this screw. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure where it went. <laughs> where it came from, right? And we've all had this happen to us on land, right? Yeah. And it's not that big of a deal, I think, in most cases on land. But that was a big deal, you know. Yes. Yes. Oh, it came right. from another boat, and it yeah, it's like no, right? <laughs> right. It didn't fall out of my pocket. It came from right. somewhere, and right. it it clearly had a purpose. It clearly had a purpose. Every screw does on a sailboat, doesn't it? Isn't pretty That's much right. every screw has a purpose, right? That's right. The other thing I thought that was kind of neat was when they would get into these stress, stressful situations, uh, they, they they had enough uh, uh, presence of mind to say, okay, take a step back. Let's sit down and analyze what's what's happening here. We're, we're not in imminent danger. It's not like, you know, we got to do something in the next five seconds or we're going to die. Uh, let's let's pause. Let's hit pause for a second. Let's regain our thoughts. Let's sit down and talk this through as to what our plan of action should be. And I think that's really great advice because I know I, I often have this tendency of, you know, something goes wrong. I just, man, I dive in head first, oftentimes without sort of taking that step back, looking at the big picture and sort of analyzing it and, and making a, a well thought out plan as to how I'm going to attack it. I thought that was really good advice. Yeah, me too. Even looking for the manual to see if they could find a diagram. It didn't work out, but I thought taking that extra step in the moment to try to gain as much information as they had was really, really cool. So I thought right. that I was, I was really impressed by that too. And it did, it did really, really strike me. My last question is, 
you know, they were planning on this trip and they were going to go to the UK. And now here they are in the Azores and it looks like the weather's going to be crappy. So they have to go to Spain instead. Now, yeah. how, you know, how would you feel if you were in their shoes? Is this a letdown or is this like, okay, you know, we're alive and we made it and Spain's nice too. What's your take on this? I think it's smart because uh, th th this is one of the things where you, where you often hear boaters and private airplane pilots <laughs> get into trouble because they they want to push because they're trying to get to a certain place and they're trying to get there by a certain time and the weather turns to crap and bad things can happen. Uh, and there's lots and lots of stories about happening with private pilots on airplanes and with sailboats. So I think it's wise, right? The weather, the weather patterns are generally known, but within that microcosm, they change and there's, and there's variations to them. And the weather patterns for sailing from, from Horta up to Ireland weren't great. It was going to be a rough passage. Couldn't they make it? Yeah, probably. Of course they could probably make it, but it's not going to be fun. It's going to be a miserable, you know, 10 days. <laughs> and, and, and uh, who wants to go through that? So they have made a change in their plans. They're going to sail uh, from uh, uh, the Azores to Spain. And then uh, they're going to go from Spain up uh, through the Bay of Biscay, which is an interesting place to be. There's a lot of great stories about sailing there. There's a lot of bad weather situations that happen there uh, to France. And then from France, the coast of France over to the UK. So you know, that's a, it's three hops, uh, shorter legs and, and, uh, you know, that's their plan. But I think this is smart when, when you, when you get, get into a situation and you say, you know what, that's not, that's not going to be a good trip. So let's change our plans. Let's, let's make it a better trip for us. Now, of course you, you have to have the flexibility to be able to do that. And 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 that's why I think on whenever I plan a trip, um, and my trips are short, I always build in at least one extra day into that trip, so that I don't have to go out when the weather's crappy. I'm a fair weather sailor. I mean, I admit it. I don't like sailing when it's raining or stormy or it's the wind's really blowing. I'd rather sit at the marina, and and uh, so I always build in an extra day, sometimes two extra days. For, for those types of weather situations or a piece of equipment breaks. And I say, ah, nah, I don't need that piece of equipment. I'll go without it. Well, you, you, you know, you're going to need it. <laughs> so I think this is wise in, in sort of, again, like we talked, taking a step back, not just blindly going, but taking a step back, reassessing this situation, and then making a conscious decision to either change your plan or not to change your plan. Right. That's what I call making a conscious decision as opposed to just blindly keep going, which is sort of the unconscious decision to to, to keep to keep going on what you originally wanted to do. Yeah, it makes sense. And it, this might be totally obvious to all of the listeners, except for me. But I'll tell you that here where I live on this side of the ocean and even though I live, I'm landlocked. We're not that far from ocean currents and our weather really is dictated by these ocean weather yeah. patterns and yes. much more so than when I lived in New York or Michigan or anywhere in the Northeast. Um, 
these patterns come and they sit for a long time and we'll get the same weather kind of day in and day out for a much longer period of time than we used to, um, you know, in New York where these weather fronts kind of come down from Canada or come across the U.S. Um, and they move, right? And we get a lot where things get stuck here, uh, both for yes. good and for bad. So that totally makes sense. I wouldn't have thought about it before I moved here, but it totally makes sense from observing the differences in weather when you're near uh, you know, the, the Eastern Atlantic, um, that these, these patterns really are right. repetitive <clears throat> and sticky. Right. Well, there's the thing called the Bermuda high and an Azores high, which is these high pressure systems that just sort of sit one on top of Bermuda, one sort of on top of the Azores and, and high pressure systems rotate clockwise. So if you're North of those high pressure systems, you get a beautiful downwind sail straight mm -hmm. across the Atlantic ocean. <laughs> And now there's the same thing can happen if it's the wrong time of the year that you get low pressure system after low pressure system just zooming across there and you get just days and, and days fighting. of crappy weather yeah. and low pressure systems rotate counterclockwise. So now you're going into the wind the whole trip. So that's why these things are important. And, and getting the window right is really important. And a lot of those windows are seasonal. And but, you know, they're not. It's not like July 1st, the changes. Well, it's somewhere around July 1st, give or take three or four weeks, it's gonna mm -hmm. change. Right? Yeah, and it's less predictable now. We know with the climate changing, right. right, that these things that used to be a little more predictable are now a little less predictable. So right. it all exactly. it all adds to the challenges. But this is great, but I'm glad they're making the safer choice too, for sure. And I'm really excited to hear about this next leg of their journey. And do they make it to the UK and which route do they have to take? And this <laughs> right. Bay of Biscay thing sounds a little scary to me, but we'll see how it works out, huh? Yep. I will, uh, once they get a good internet connection, I will do another update with them. Uh, probably when they get to the UK would be my guess, or maybe when they get to France, I'm not sure. Uh, but we will definitely uh, have a follow-up conversation with uh, Sawyer and Simon. Great. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. It makes it easier for other people to find the podcast because it sort of elevates us in our visibility. So uh, well, I'm heading out to the boat uh, this weekend, going to be there with uh, Elaine, my wife, and our two granddaughters for uh, what the granddaughters have coined as Camp Paradox. Paradox is the name of the boat. Uh, we did it last year where we had them for a week on the boat, and we're going to do it again. And uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, next week. Sounds great, Bela. So from over here in Münster, Germany, I'll see you next time. Safe travels. Okay.